Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. If you're paying attention to Hard Knocks, it seems pretty clear to me that everything that I've been saying about the vibes around the most interesting team in the NFL is true. You can't fake vibes, not vibes that are as good as what are coming from the JETS right now. You can't fake that which, as I've said before, is pretty amazing onto itself. Because I can't remember the last time there were even slightly positive vibes around this team and this franchise. It's all changing. I mean, even the Coog Hunter, even the Coog Hunter is thriving. Even Zach Wilson is coming across pretty well in hard knocks, which is pretty wild when you consider last season, the dude shoved his cleated foot right into his pie hole every single time he got in front of a microphone. This is the same dude who seriously tried to blame one of the ugliest quarterback performances ever on the wind. You know how it is. If you're a QB1 in the NFL, you never, ever blame anybody for anything, and you assume all responsibility. He was the exact opposite. He had one of the worst games ever. And blamed it, not on himself or his play. Hey, put it on me. Put it on me. No, put it on the wind. It's windy as hell out there, too, guys. I mean, in his defense, it was windy as hell out there, guys. It's windy as hell out there, too, guys. So making that dude look good on the field and sound good off of it is not an easy task. But somehow it's actually happening right now. Because the fact is, everybody looks and sounds good right now. The Jets, as a whole, look and sound great right now. Hell, I'm starting this show again with a Jets take. That's how good they sound. That's how good they look. And, of course, everybody has Aaron Rodgers to thank for that. Everybody has Aaron to thank. And everybody knows that this team will go only as far as Aaron will take them. Which is why every single time Aaron pulls up lame, there is a tri-state regional panic. It happened at OTAs, and we did an entire segment on it then. And it happened again yesterday when he pulled up lame in practice. Here was the tweet that got half of New York City metro area into full Carl Lewis mode. ESPN's Rich Samini, quote, After releasing a pass interception, Aaron Rodgers clutches his left calf. He's limping around, but stays in for the next play. That was his, quote, good calf. Injured the right in OTAs. All right, so to me, it's not a big, uh uh-oh, or even a slow-mo, uh-oh. But it is a legit, uh uh-oh. An injury to each calf before the season begins is less than ideal. Now, it does look like he should be fine. Totally fine. Even if he is totally fine, that scare highlights the reality that all of these vibes, all of these hopes, all of the potential for this magical season flies right out the window if that dude does go down. Coog Hunter might be making progress, but Coog Hunter is not saving this team because improved does not mean ready, and the Coog Hunter is still not ready. 
nowhere near ready. They need Aaron. And just as importantly, they need to protect Aaron. Unfortunately, that might be the biggest question mark. That might be the weakest spot on an otherwise stacked roster. The offensive line is still a work in progress. And they better be up for the big job this season because they have a big job this season. Which is why I loved, absolutely loved Bob Sala lighting them up after the first preseason game. Check out these verbal scuds that Robert Receipts launched at his own O-line that aired on Hard Knocks last night. Offense. Guys, it was our first opportunity to change the stink that's been in this organization for a very long time on the offensive side of the ball. You can have a Hall of Fame quarterback. You can have two $10 million plus receivers. You can have a reigning offensive rookie of the year. You can have all kinds of skill in the running back room. None of it matters until the big boys up front change who the we are we as coaches we as an organization can't want it more than you and i'm watching that tape all night last night trying to find something to show that we're changing and it didn't show and it was our first op and i'd love to say we got another practice but you know what it's like sunday you don't get monday morning to go redo it's getting your mind right to represent who the you are every single time you are on the field preach legend and the Jets wanted nothing to do with hard knocks we would have missed that incredible that is so much better than say let's go eat a GD snack let's go to eat a snack in fact that was so much better and so much smarter than anything I've ever heard Rex say this dude's so right by the way He's so right to hold that offensive line to a high standard, to make sure, and demand accountability, because they do have a huge job this year. One mistake from one of those dudes up front can end up ruining the entire season. But aside from that verbal firebombing, Jets camp does look like the coolest, happiest place on earth right now. I mean, Disneyland? Please. Please. Give me Jets camp every single day. They had a mentalist in there blowing Aaron and everybody else's mind with crazy illusions. They've got all these incredible handshakes. Aaron is cracking on everybody. Everybody is cracking on Aaron. It looks like the best time ever. The vibes are the best vibes ever. These dudes really look like they're ready to do it. But if they're going to, it's only happening with Aaron on the field. Solon knows that. That's why he unloaded. I can't wait until the next time the O-line messes up. What is Rob going to do then? You can only F-bomb professionals for so long. And I think he had about a half a dozen in that clip alone. But you can only F-bomb them so long before they kind of become desensitized to it, right? Then what? I mean, he'll have another play. I mean, does Mount Sala then rip his shirt off? And by the way, how good does this dude look? How good does this dude look? I've always been fascinated by that. And we had the conversation recently, but I've always been fascinated by head coaches that demand. Trent Dilfer and I were talking about this the other day. That head coaches who demand absolute commitment to nutrition and moving the weights around But they're like, how do I put this? Fat pigs. 
Salah is a monster, yo. So what does he do? Does he rip his shirt off? Again, if I look like that guy, I wouldn't own any shirts. I would never put one on. I just walk around all day long without a shirt if I look like that. Does he rip his shirt off? Does he put on the pads? And does he tell them, meet me on the field? Does he line up one on five? Does he head slap Mackie Becton? Head slap. Does he pancake Max Mitchell? I don't think you want that smoke, big dudes. And I know you sure as hell don't want to let down all of NYC, or more importantly, your Hall of Fame quarterback. Do your job. To the big boys up front, change who the f- we are. You had a chance to get rid of that stink. And you blew it. No do-overs. Yeah, and you can say, yeah, but the thing about Aaron is, these are non-contact injuries. Right. What's going to happen when there is contact? Do your job. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. We are joined via Zoom by Grant Hill. Grant, it is so great to have you on once again. How you doing, Grant? Hey, Jim. I'm doing well, buddy. Uh, how are you? I'm great, Grant. Really appreciate the chance to talk to you. Got a few things to cover, so let's just jump right into it. As managing director of USA Basketball and the men's national team, what an amazing opportunity and challenge for you. I want to ask, given the options and the other opportunities that you've had, Grant, why is this something that resonated with you the way it has, and why did you decide to take this on? You know, that's a great question, Jim. Um, you know, I was really thinking about this opportunity when I knew Jerry Colangelo, who preceded me in this role and did a, a fantastic job uh, with USA Basketball, assuming that role back in, in 2005. Um, but just, you know, th- I, I've had the good fortune of, of playing in sports and being in and around sports. Uh, I'm in your profession. I'm in broadcasting. I, I'm in ownership. Um, but the chance to have this responsibility, the chance to have this role, uh, you know, I, I played for you know the U.S., uh, the Pan American Games. Uh, I was on the select team in 92, the Olympic team in 96 that played in Atlanta. Uh, so I understand the importance and the significance of, of the U.S. men's national team. And to be able to, to now sort of be the steward of this program uh, was something that, that I was excited about. And. Uh, I'll tell you, it's it's not ceremonial. <laughs> the rest of the world is much, much better uh, than they were in 96. Uh, and, you know, these teams, the FIBA style of basketball is very, very different than, you know, our NBA game. Uh, so um, it's an incredible challenge, but also an incredible opportunity and uh, something that I'm grateful uh, to be in. We're talking to Grant Hill. You know, Grant, I was going to ask you about how you go about building this thing, but I want to follow up on what you just said because you have played and succeeded on the international level, and that's a different animal now. Like, how different is the international game, and then what types of players typically fare best against international competition? 
You know, that's a great question. I think sometimes, Jim, uh, because we've had so much success with basketball uh, in the U.S. and we've had so many great players, the game was invented here. Uh, we feel like we've we've mastered the game of basketball. I don't think the casual sort of observer or basketball fan fully respects the differences between the NBA game and the FIBA game. Uh, there's greater physicality in the FIBA game. Uh, the officials allow uh, the defense to, it's almost like the 80s and, and 90s basketball. You think of the New York Knicks in the in the early 90s. You think of the bad boys, uh, maybe not that extreme, but certainly greater physicality. Um, there's different rules. So defensively, uh, you can pack the paint. So uh, the driving lanes aren't as open. Uh, and then, you know, you know, you, you got to have rim protectors. You got to you got to have three point shooting. Uh, we've historically had great athletes um, in the NBA. We tend to beat you with great individual play. You know, you give the ball to Michael Jordan and you let Michael Jordan be Michael Jordan. You give the ball to LeBron James and let him be LeBron James uh, in the international game. They beat you with superior execution. They don't necessarily have guys, or at least historically haven't had guys like a Michael Jordan uh, or, or, or a LeBron James or, or Kevin Durant, some of the greats who've been a part of the USA basketball program in years past. So they really execute and run their stuff. And if you, uh, if, if, if you slip up, you don't defend, you don't concentrate, uh, you're not together locked in defensively, uh, they'll score. There's fewer possessions in a FIBA game. We have 100-plus possessions in the NBA game. Uh, there's low 70s, high 60 possessions. So every possession means something. So I could go on and on uh, with regards to the various nuances to the game, um, but we have a healthy respect uh, for that. And that really goes into the process of uh, assembling uh, this roster. Everyone was it was very thoughtful. We were very intentional and we felt the skill sets of all our guys translate well on the international stage. So well said. Grant Hill joining us. You know, one thought about that, Grant, all of those things factor into how you put that puzzle together and the players you select. I'm curious about this. Generally speaking, do all the players you approach understand the pride associated with representing country? And if for some reason they don't, do you perhaps rule them out of consideration? How does that factor in? Well, you know, what's interesting, Jim, this, this generation or, you know, this team and this iteration of the men's national team, no one on this team, this World Cup team, uh, has been on the men's national team before. We have uh, young guys, with the exception of maybe Bobby Portis, who uh, has been a veteran and been a champion in the NBA. But a lot of these guys have watched and admired and dreamed about you know, having this opportunity. They watched the Redeem team when they were young, uh, and they were inspired by the LeBron Jameses and the Kobe Bryants, the Jason Kidds, the Carmelo Anthonys. So that influence, I think, has really helped uh, with, you know, with with my job and, and assembling the roster and filling that pipeline and getting these young players to be a part of it. Uh, I think when you put on that USA and look, we we, we have at times our differences and certainly our country at times, we, we 
we, we go through uh, challenges, but sports, as you know, as well as anybody, sports brings communities together and it can bring countries together. And, and so uh, these guys now are feeling what that is like, what it's like to go to Spain uh, last week and play on the road in a hostile environment uh, where, you know, the fans are out for blood um, and, and want to see their country beat us. Uh, and, and and dealing with some tough calls and some tough breaks with the whistle, but just collectively coming together uh, and us, USA, competing against Spain and ultimately beating them. Uh, that was a great experience. And they got a chance to really understand what this is about. And the more we go through this journey uh, as we move on to Manila uh, for the World Cup next week, uh, they'll come out of this with a real sense of pride and hopefully a sense of accomplishment, bringing back the gold medal. We are talking to Grant Hill for a couple more moments. I was going to ask you about Spain, Grant. What a great win that was. I mean, Spain's obviously a power, and you beat them 96-88 on their Spanish soil. Very hostile environment. You guys showed up huge. What about Jalen Bronson? 21 points in that win over Spain. A perfect 9 of 9 from the floor. Steve Kerr calls him a natural leader. How impressed have you been with the Knicks point guard? You know, Jim, I've been impressed with Jalen, but, you know, I'll be honest. I mean, he is he is doing and, and providing exactly what I thought he would. I mean, he you, you saw what he's done with that Knicks franchise and kind of resurrected things and um, brought that not just great play, but leadership and maturity. Um, but also like he's a tree trunk, like he is solid. You know, he's like a fullback. And. Uh, in that game against Spain, there was so much physicality, but he was able to also dish it out. Uh, he came out, was was on fire, uh, really set the tone in a hostile environment and uh, has really been one of our leaders, uh, not just at that game and with his great play, um, not just in our camp as we prepared in Las Vegas, uh, but even before we met uh, in camp uh, in Las Vegas, you know, getting guys together on group threads, talking with one another, uh, building that camaraderie and that chemistry that uh, is so important. You talk about Spain, which is a great FIBA basketball team. Uh, Spain, that, that, that core of guys, they've been together for many, many years. They've played the FIBA game many, many years. They've played with one another in the FIBA game for many, many years. We're coming together, and, and these guys, as 12 players, have never played together on this stage. And so to accelerate the process of coming together is so important, and Jalen has played a, a critical role in doing that. Grant Hill, my guest. So, Grant, one last thought. All of this, of course, is a prelude to next year's Olympic Games in Paris. I know you have spoke to the reigning MVP, I should say, Joel Embiid. Now, Joel, we know, has dual citizenship with France and the U.S., What's your sense of where his head is at? And maybe what's your pitch to him? Yeah, you know, when, when talking to Joel, uh, I, I feel like a college coach, you know, on a recruiting visit. Um, but, you know, look, Joel is uh, a great player, a great young man, and uh, I've enjoyed watching him grow and develop. And I've enjoyed getting to know him uh, over the course of the last year. Uh, he is certainly going to be, you know, coveted and, and recruited by, um, you know, by, by multiple countries. And it's good to have options. Um, we, we are hopeful, though, that he will consider us. But, you know, b- before we go down that road, I, I do think the, the focus is, is, is on the right here and right now. The World Cup 
is so hard. You have 32 countries. You have to win, um, you know, you have to win eight games. It, you know, you, it's like the tournament. It's like the NCAA tournament. You know, you, you, you lose and you're out. And so, um, and the last time that we participated in the World Cup in 2019, we, we got seventh place. So um, all of my attention is on, you know, managing, servicing, uh, helping to guide Steve Kerr and his staff and our players uh, to, you know, to, to the results that we desire. Uh, and, and then we'll get to that down the road, but I, I, I do, you know, I do love Joel and B. I think he's a great player and, you know, maybe there, there'll be an opportunity. Maybe he'll want to be a part of this uh, moving forward next year. It is a fair point. I respect that already with a basketball pedigree, like none other and go ahead and add to that resume managing director of USA basketball men's national team, Grant Hill, our guest Grant, you know, I appreciate you. That goes without saying so good to have you back on the show. Grant, thanks so much. I really appreciate the conversation. As always, Jim, I appreciate you, and thanks for having me. U.S. Cellular knows how important your kids' relationship with technology is, and they have made it their mission to help them establish good digital habits early on. That's why they have partnered with Screen Sanity, a nonprofit dedicated to helping kids navigate the digital landscape. And for a smarter start to the school year, U.S. Cellular is also offering a free basic phone on new eligible lines, providing an alternative to a smartphone for kids. Start smarter with with U.S. Cellular. Visit uscellular.com slash built for us to find out more. Restrictions to apply. Visit uscellular.com for terms. We go to Austin. Mike in Austin. It's good to have you on. Mike, how are you? Man, man, I'm doing great. It's great to have you back. It's like Messi and the MLS are like if Shohei pitched a one-hitter in the Little League World Series or Jokovic was the dominant at the YMCA tournament here locally. I mean, our sports radio from this time has been horrible. This, this is dominating. This is what we needed back. Welcome back from the ATX. My man, Mike, I appreciate you, dude. Thank you very much. I don't know what's been on since I've been gone. I just know I'm happy as hell to be back. It's great to be back, and this is what you're going to get. Normally, I would say that preseason football doesn't mean anything at all. In fact, I'm going to say preseason football means almost nothing at all. In fact, it means less than nothing at all, right? You know what means even less than NFL preseason games? NFL preseason practices. So I'm not going to overreact to one single Browns practice today or a couple of joint scrimmages. I'm just saying, Deshaun Watson better be ready to play better than he's been practicing because reportedly he's been looking like, what's the word, ass in practice. Case in point, yesterday, dude, over the course of two joint practices, was picked off three times by the same dude. Again, I'm fully aware that we're talking about practice We're talking about practice right now. I also have not forgotten that this is the same quarterback, though, who was outplayed by Jacoby Brissett last season. In fact, part of me thinks the Browns let Jacoby Brissett walk because they didn't want a better quarterback in the room than the dude they scratched the largest check for ever in NFL history. Now, check that. 
the creep that they threw the largest guaranteed deal at in NFL history. Now, I'm not overreacting to a bad practice. I'm not. I'm not overreacting to a couple of bad joint scrimmages. I'm not doing that either. I'm saying there's not a lot of evidence so far that this dude has much of his game back. You know that talk about last year that, yeah, the guy hasn't played in like 900 days. What do you expect? There's going to be rust that has to get knocked off. Give this guy a normal camp. Give this guy a normal time to get ready and prepare. He'll be that guy. He'll be the guy that we brought in and we guaranteed all that money to. Yeah, well, not based on what we're seeing. Based on what we're seeing, this creep isn't much better. Again, just joint scrimmages. I'm saying we better see much better pretty freaking quickly. What I'm saying is practice yesterday better mean nothing, Browns fan. If you're going to come up here and say, hey, Rome, come on, man. Get that crap out of here. It means nothing. I'm going to agree with you. It better mean nothing. That practice performance better be a liar. This dude better be ready to ball the hell out this year. And if he does, don't be running up on me to say, told you, told you so. Now what do you have to say? I'll tell you right now what I'll have to say. If this guy does ball out this year, what I'm going to say is no credit for that that's what you do when they throw you the biggest guarantee ever that's what they paid for that's just doing the damn job no credit for doing your job no credit for earning the biggest contract ever anything less than a Super Bowl appearance for this creep and that huge pile of guaranteed paper will not be enough that's what they're paying for he better be great he better be so much better than good he better be great or else the Browns are going to find themselves right back in classic Browns mode in that classic Browns hole owing three more seasons of a massive guaranteed contract to a creep who lost what he once had and can't play anymore and then they'll be looking for a new head coach and a new GM once again you know standard operating procedure I mean, I can't help but think they ran Brissett out of there because he was making Watson look bad. And now you know what you have? A fifth-round rookie making Watson look bad. So far this preseason, Dorian Thompson-Robinson has looked electric. And he's given Browns fans a lot more to be excited about than the $230 million massage enthusiast. Hate to say it, C-Town, because you know I love you. You know this. You know I'm not here to pile on you. I was the last remaining person nationally that had your back. I took so much heat for having your back. So you know I'm not looking to pile on you gratuitously. You know I love your Browns deep down. But they're making it really hard for me to love them. When not only do they bring this guy in, guarantee him that amount of money, he plays like that, and now what do we have? The Predator quarterback embarrasses himself in practice, and I understand that at all costs you want to protect your quarterback. And Joel Betonio is a really solid guy, good player, good guy. However, he was going on to the media that Philadelphia was landing, quote, cheap shots 
on Watson during practice. They were cheap-shotting the quarterback. Specifically, Joel had a problem with Josh Sweat knocking the ball out of Deshaun's hands. You know, like a strip sack. You're not allowed to do that, apparently. That's part of the code. That in a joint scrimmage, you can't get near the quarterback. You can't hit the quarterback. And apparently, also, you cannot knock the ball out of the quarterback's hands. That apparently is a cheap shot. How rich is that? Given what this guy was accused of. Given what this guy was accused of. You're saying that people are performing dirty acts on him by knocking the ball out of his hands. The horror. How heinous. Hey, look, man. Worry about yourselves. Don't worry about how mean the winners that you're practicing against are. In fact, maybe you should be taking notes. Instead of whining and making excuses and talking about how dirty they are, you know, the ones to beat in the NFC, arguably, instead of crying about how dirty they are, maybe you figure out what the Eagles are doing that makes them so successful. Why they're doing so well. Why others are emulating them. Maybe you should do the same thing. Because what they're doing is working really well. And what you're doing, per always, is not working at all. This dude better play better. He better ball out. All right, so why don't we talk about the blind side again? Because there is an update. Like anybody who saw, for instance, Rudy, knows that sports movies based on true stories can also have zero grounding in reality. It's Hollywood, right? They're here to entertain us, not tell us the truth. Some of the stuff that happened in that movie, I mean, was so dumb and so unbelievable. No matter how much you like that movie, you gotta admit, some of it was so dumb and so unbelievable that it was not believable. Of course. That's the stuff that didn't actually happen, AKA the slow clapping, the chanting, the absurd upperclassmen coming in to the coach's office one by one and laying down their uniforms unless Rudy got in. I mean, just utter nonsense. Most of us understand this, though. Most of you know why they call a Hollywood ending a Hollywood ending. Most of you want to see something interesting when you watch a movie. You know, what are movies? They're an escape. You want to be entertained. Even if it's, quote, based on a true story, most of us get that based on a true story does not mean you're watching a documentary. It means you're watching a movie. Now, the thing about the blindside story is now it's hard to tell what the true story even was or is or who is telling the truth now, two decades later. It's murky and messy as hell. But one thing is pretty certain. This all-time feel-good story really is not an all-time feel-good story at all. This all-time feel-good story has turned into an all-time feel-bad story. An all-time feel-like-crap story. As I laid out yesterday, Michael Orr's accusation that he was tricked and not actually adopted and never saw a cent from the movie was already messy and ugly, and confusing, and disappointing, and bizarre, if true. That's what he alleged. But that was before the family got their shot in the media with their rebuttal. 
or what I should say, before the Tui's high-powered attorney got his shot with a rebuttal and some time with the media. And the rebuttal is exactly what you pay a high-powered attorney for. Because this dude just made a sloppy mess of a situation even sloppier and messier. According to Tui's, to the Tui's, Michael Orr attempted a multi-million dollar shakedown. He termed it, quote, a shakedown, the attorney. $15 million shakedown before he went public with the revelation that he was not adopted and was actually tricked into a conservatorship. And according to the Tuies, he's tried to pull that same, quote, shakedown several times before. According to the Tuies, there is documented evidence that they have, quote, given Mr. Orr an equal cut of every penny received from the blind side, which, again, somehow is not very much money at all, according to the Tuies. Like, I don't know what kind of contract was signed. I don't know how much money exchanged hands. They make it sound like it's not that much money at all. That part is kind of hard to believe as well. Either they were super naive in the contract they signed, or they're not telling the truth, because that movie made a hell of a lot of money. So how could the family that the movie was about not claim very much money at all? That's pretty hard to understand. That's pretty hard to believe. Here's something else I can't quite figure out. Why did it take so long for all of this to come to light? How is it possible that Orr, as he alleges, only found out earlier this year that he was not adopted and that he was not completely in control of his finances. He's 37. How did he only find out now? He had to know they made money off of him then, and they've been running around making money off of him since. So why is this an issue now? Is it because he suddenly has a book out? And why did the family never actually adopt the dude if that was always an option? I mean, he was living with them. They were calling him their son. He says that he was led to believe that he was adopted. So why did they ever not ever actually adopt him? Why did the fake father try to claim that adult adoption was not an option because it was not allowable when it absolutely was and always has been? Did the fake dad just assume it? Or did the fake dad read it somewhere? Or did the fake dad know and just kind of try and manipulate the situation to Aura's point to make money? Because when the fake dad says, if the whole notion of this is essentially about whether or not he was adopted, and the fake dad says, oh, we weren't allowed to, when you were allowed to, according to state law, uh, that kind of throws or undermines their credibility, right? That's a big part of the case, whether or not he was adopted. Oh, we weren't allowed to. Yes, you were. Yes, you were then, and yes, you are now. Remember, the central claim in all of this is that Orr got tricked into the conservatorship and got paid nothing from the movie about him, a movie about him, while the Tuies each made two hundred twenty-five grand and 2.5% of the film's net proceeds. So that's either true or it isn't. They either made that money or they didn't. They either shared it with Orr or they didn't. I'm sure there's a paper trail on all of this. 
It's just that, unfortunately, the only way we're going to get the answers to these questions is in court, which is what Orr's attorney has pointed out in response to the TUI rebuttal. Quote, we try cases in the courtroom based on our facts. We have confidence in our judicial system and in our client, Michael Orr. We believe that justice will be served in the courtroom, and we hope to get there quickly. End of quote. In other words, somebody is telling the truth here. Somebody is spewing bullcrap here. It's just going to be a while before we actually know. What we do know right now, though, is this feel-good story has turned into a feel-like-crap story. I feel like I need to go take a shower after talking about this for the past two days. A couple more thoughts. I made the point yesterday. I want to reiterate right now. Sports movies typically suck. They typically are cliche-ridden, cheesy. The athletes that are in them are athletic, but they can't act. The actors that are in them are great actors, but they're not good athletes. They don't work. Essentially, there's only been one great sports movie ever made. Space Jam 1. A movie that I co-star in with Michael Jordan. Actually, two great sports movies. The remake of The Longest Yard. A movie that I co-star in with Adam Sandler. Actually, three great sports movies. Two for the money. A movie that I co-star in with Al Pacino and Matthew McConaughey. But that's it. This one, though, was in the honorable mention category. I would even say also, like, that's that's about it. Brian Song. Oh, dude. If you tell me you didn't cry during that movie, you're a liar. When I was a kid and I saw that movie, damn, that was sad. I know that was true. Anyway, one more thing about this, and this is hugely important, hugely important. The last thing I want to say, and then I'm going to leave it alone, unless something new comes up. I want to say this and leave it alone, but leave Sandra Bullock alone. Stop coming for her Oscar. That is a terrible Unhinged take. She's an actress. She was playing a part. She didn't manipulate anybody or anything. She didn't mislead anybody. She was doing her job and did it pretty damn well. In fact, so well, they threw her a statue for it. None of this is her fault. Nor should she have to give that statue back. Nor should anybody be banging on her door looking to snatch it out of her hands. So just give it a rest, you lava-slinging dopes on social media with nothing better to do. How dare anybody out there take a run at Sandy after all she's been through? She's a human. You're lucky she even performs for you bastards. Leave Sandy alone. Leave Benny alone. I mean, my God. She lost her longtime partner to ALS. Have any of you ever, ever, ever seen or been near or been exposed to ALS? It It is the most gruesome thing ever. Do you ghouls really want to pile on her right now? She probably deserves another Oscar just for dealing with you scumbags. 
Let me ask you something. Did you losers go after Killian Murphy for dropping the bomb in Oppenheimer 2? Huh? You coming for Killian too? How about when that guy who played Drago killed Apollo Creed? Did you demand that he turn himself into the authorities? Did you send the cops to his house? I don't remember seeing anybody try to cancel Tom Cruise after he killed Goose. Get the hell away from Sandy. She's got nothing to do with anything. Idiots running around on social media demanding that she give back the trophy, the statue. I've seen a lot of bad takes on social, but that might be the worst. Nobody tried to cancel Tom or hit him with manslaughter charges after he killed Goose. Come on, do better. Anyway, how sketchy is that? How dirty is that? How nasty is that? How ugly is that? And we haven't heard of the end of that. And why is this a thing now, suddenly? And who do you believe? You know what I think? I think Rudy's teammates should sue the movie makers, the studio, over that absurd depiction that they were not going to play unless Rudy got to play. That they came in and they laid down their sacred jerseys on the desk of the coach one by one. If that's not a reason to sue, then what is? I'd be so pissed if I were on that team. I mean, if you're on that team, imagine being you were an All-American on that team. And for all these years, every time you go anywhere, it's like, hey, hey, man, you played for Notre Dame, right? You played with Rudy, right? What was he like? Hey, what was that like when you all went into the coach's office and you all laid down your jerseys and said you would not take the field unless Rudy got that one play? You'd probably want to punch somebody in the face. Man, you'd be screaming. You would find the highest rooftop you could get to and scream as loud as you possibly can. I never went into the coach's office and said, him or me, I'm not going to play my last game as a senior unless Rudy gets that one rep. I mean, we get it. It's Hollywood. But God, but this story was supposed to be true, and we all felt great about it. So th- that's my take. Who do you believe? Who do you believe? Is it just a shakedown by a guy who played in the NFL? I understand why he's unhappy. Put it this way. I understand why he's unhappy with the way he was depicted. There was a lot of creative license taken. Like the family taught him how to play football. That's not true. He was already a damn good player when he got to the family. Like like mom, I don't think, was like breaking out the salt shaker and the pepper. The salt shaker is the quarterback. You are the pepper shaker. You need to get into your back pedal and protect your quarterback. Protect the salt. Low center of gravity. I mean, that is pretty insulting. Also, the fact that he couldn't read or write. I would take offense to that, too. There is that. But then again, if they just shared all the facts... They wouldn't have made $300 million, and they wouldn't have had all that money to hide from him. Urgh! 
I don't know. I don't know. Sandy would never Oscar, which you idiots on social are trying to take back from her. You know there's some idiot. There's always that one idiot that takes it off social into the real. Somebody knocking on her door. Good night now!